Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. to this podcast. Be aware, this show often uses very naughty language. If you don't like that, you shouldn't listen. Send your complaints to I am a whiny baby with no sense of humour at nightstory.com or stop by the studio. I'll take you for a ride to a story of my choosing. Hey everybody, I'm Immortal Alexander. I'm Jeanette Andromeda. Welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is episode 508. And today we are exploring our writer's toolbox, which really needs some new tools in it. Um, if you've ever read Stephen King's On Writing, which I highly recommend, he talks about how every writer needs a toolbox. And today, what are we adding to our toolbox, Alexander? Well, that would be discussing the topic of first-person narrative and horror fiction. Hmm. Well, to give you an example, let's hear a story. This tale comes from HorrorMade.com, where you can find more of Immortal Alexander's work if you feel you need some more. And uh, please be warned. I know Victoria gave you the heads up earlier that we often use naughty language. Well, this tale actually contains scenes of graphic violence. Enjoy. This is Devil on Your Back. Written by Immortal Alexander and narrated by me, Jeanette Andromeda. Good day, kind sirs and madams. Lend me your ears for a while, and I will tell you a tale most fantastic. Of course, a saucer of milk would be appreciated for my effort. A bit of tuna or a dead rodent would also be acceptable payment for services rendered. Do I have your full attention? Oh, good. Let us begin. My name is Fiabella, the cat. I am dark as midnight and twice as cunning as any devil you might meet in this life or the next. None of that is essential to this story, but I do believe introductions are in order to set the tone of the tale I'm about to tell. It was very late one evening. I was busy chasing a sewer rat that had popped out unexpectedly from a rusty drain pipe when I noticed... "'something from the corner of my eye. "'This did not distract me from my hunt. "'I had snatched up the foul-smelling creature "'and broken its neck within seconds. "'I am a natural-born killer, you see, "'but that is neither here nor there "'within the context of this tale. "'Merely a little anecdote to tell you 
that I have no fear when traveling the dark recesses of this fair city. The streets were specially dim that evening, as the city had most likely decided to save money by shutting off half of the streetlights in the poor and unkempt part of town. How do I know such things? I am a cat, after all, and cats do know many secrets. Well then, back to the story at hand. After storing my dinner behind a trash bin for later consumption, I returned to my previous curiosity. A shadow I had spied from the corner of my eye. I followed its energy trail down barely lit alleyways and back into the main strip. I paused as I felt the presence stop dead in its tracks. I looked up and admired a young man standing under a street lamp. He was lighting a pipe and puffing away without a care in the world. The man was well-dressed in a tan wool suit covered by a long, dark blue raincoat. His shoes were shiny and looked very new. A man of means, I suspect. As he stood there and enjoyed his evening smoke, face obscured by his brimmed hat, he was wholly unaware that he was being observed. Not just by myself but also by an unholy creature that perched just above him, standing on the edge of the lamp-post. It looked almost like a burnt cherub, with flecks of ash floating off its seared grey skin. It didn't notice me, though, even with its very large, wet, bulging eyes that pulsed and spasmed as it observed its prey. I am much too clever to be noticed. Not like this blunt hellion who could be seen by anyone with a pair of eyes like mine. Not that my eyes are common, mind you. The hairless perched demon was transfixed on the man below, and in the bat of an eye it leapt headlong into his shadow. The creature dove right into the murky blackness of the smoking man's shadow as if it were a recreational pool. For the uninitiated, this is an astonishing and terrifying feat. But for me, it was just another Tuesday night. Applaud for the demon if you see fit, but know that this tale has not ended. It has only just begun. Slurp, lick, rub. Oh, oh, sorry. I started grooming in the middle of my tale out of pure habit. How embarrassing. Shall I continue? Well, the man did not notice the demon lurking in his shadow, and the demon wished the man no real harm. Not to him, at least. To keep things nice and neat, let's call this man Joe. And the demon, Philip. Joe commenced his evening stroll as soon as his pipe was extinguished. A quick tap of his corncob against his shoe, and he was off. The evening breeze pulled on his coat, and his penny loafers clicked and clacked, echoing in every direction. On a park bench bathed by light, there was a fair-looking young woman sitting and reading a book. Joe paused and tipped his hat as a proper gentleman should. When the young lady acknowledged his compliment, Joe attempted to depart, but uh, could not. Joe's right hand shook violently. It slid into his right front coat pocket and produced a shiny straight razor that gleamed in the lamplight. 
The woman screamed, and Joe did his best to hold fast to his right hand with his left, but it slipped free, flying through the air like a suicide bomber. Then slice! String and lace separated in a flash, making the woman's dress droop on one side with a little small cut upon her chest. The woman clutched her bosoms tightly. In Joe's eyes, she saw nothing but madness. Joe grabbed his right arm once more in an attempt to stop this insanity. The woman took the opportunity to flee for her life, holding her dress together as she ran screaming into the night. As the woman fled, control returned to Joe's right arm. Confused, Joe just stood there embarrassed and feeling quite ill. His shadow, however, was quite pleased with itself. Philip took shape in Joe's shadow and giggled, muffling the sound with his claw-like hands. Joe steadied himself and seemed to be pondering his predicament. I, on the other hand, moved in closer to get a better view. I leapt onto a stone railing and pretended to groom myself. The demon took notice of me, but did not break its gaze from Joe. I began licking myself in a most undignified manner, to break Philip's attention on me. After a moment, Philip lost interest and saw a bigger prize. As I was grooming, I caught where Philip's gaze fell. A gathering of mistresses of the night and their very big and very muscled masters skulking by the pier. Let's call this strapping tall fellow John. John was collecting the knight's hall from his stable of trollops, and I moved towards them knowing exactly what Philip had in mind. I do have a second sense about these things, you know, and this time I moved into the shadows twenty feet away from the gathering as not to attract attention. Joe, on the other hand, could do nothing but attract attention— Philip was commencing his puppet act, compelling Joe to investigate the gallery of seedy individuals. You could see this manipulation clear as day in the lamplight as Philip stretched and pulled Joe's shadow like a piece of taffy, bending it to his devilish will. Now let me take a moment and explain a little bit about Joe before we get to this most unpleasant part of our tale. I have observed Joe many an evening feeding the pigeons and greeting all with a smile. He is a most pleasant chap, and he has never, to my knowledge, uttered an unkind word even to the filthy and penniless souls he passes daily. He's even fed me on occasion. I have this little tin plate that I keep hidden under the pier to prove it. As our story proceeds, we now see Joe convulsing violently. He looked to be trying to break hold of whatever compelled him to walk at such a brisk pace. John hid the money in his pocket and turned, expecting a policeman. John's eyes were illuminated by moonlight before they went dead. Blood gushed from John's throat and splashed all over the ladies of the evening. They screamed loudly and ran off, not wanting to be next. John fell dead, slamming to the rocky pavement with a loud and wet thump. Joe looked at his own hand and saw the bloody razor dripping with thick and meaty morsels. He immediately threw up all over John's lifeless corpse. I believe Joe said something like, Sorry, mate, once the dinner fountain had ceased its sickening stream. 
I felt sorry for Joe. He looked pretty frightened. I leapt back onto the stone railing with something in my mouth. I was under the street light for all to see. I placed the object down, meowed loudly, and hissed at Philip. Joe was my meal ticket, after all, and I wasn't about to see him hang for murder. Philip turned and looked directly at me, and so did Joe. Philip was obscured by a shadow, but I had a remedy for that. I grabbed my tin dish in my mouth and tossed it high in the air. With each spin, it caught a little light that reflected in their direction. Joe saw something in the light, and as he stared, Philip turned until their eyes met. Joe's arm that held the blade was trembling. This was a very tense moment. My back was arched and every one of my hair stood at attention. Joe's free hand darted forward and grabbed the creature by the throat. It must have been Joe's good nature kicking in that prevented him from slicing the foul creature to ribbons right then and there. You could say that left Philip quite surprised. I could hear him hissing and screeching as Joe steadied the blade in his hand. Then Philip spoke. Let me go, it said. Let me go, and I will grant you whatever your heart desires. They all say that. Demons, you see, do not like being caught. If the other demons find out, they become the laughingstock of hell. I do know many things, you know, and demons are something I have great knowledge of. I don't know what Joe said to the demon, but he did let it go. What? You don't believe me? Well, there was a loud crashing wave when Joe spoke. I'm sorry, I have sensitive ears and the crashing waves are very loud. What? You don't want to give me some fish? I can see the scraps on your dinner plate and you are very round round the middle. You don't need it. And I have kept you entertained, have I not? No, no, there is no more to tell. You can just use your imagination for all I care. Are you sure you don't want to give me something for my troubles? I am very familiar with demons, you know. Wow. I read that. You wrote that. I did write that. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> You shouldn't be sorry. That was fun. Um, So did you always approach this story as first person narrative? Well, the way I write stories is kind of like stream of consciousness. I really just let my mind go and let the story flow out as it comes. And this story happened to come out in uh, first person narrative and narrated by a cat because I think I struggled. I tried starting the story a couple of different ways, a few sentences. And then once the cat jumped in, which is like maybe three sentences down the line, I was just like, okay, I'm going to, and I I just kind of stopped, began from there and it just kind of came out. So I don't really stop most of the time and think about, okay, what am I writing? I just pick a topic or an idea and then I go from there and I just kind of let it flow out. Now, what um, I liked about this story is not just that it was from the point of view of a cat, 
Um, a very sassy cat, if I do say so myself. Um, but I liked that you can't quite trust this narrator, and that is actually part of the first-person narrator mythos, which is an unreliable narrator. Um, which, for example, if someone is crazy or you can't quite trust what they're thinking or what they're seeing, uh, you, as the reader, really have to pay more attention to what's going on in the story and not necessarily take things at face value. So that's what I like. One of the things, we're going to get into a lot of things about first-person narrative. You know, what I really want to uh, kind of stress here is that when you want to attack or not what I want to stress here is that when you tackle a topic and, um, you know, some people just say they don't like this, they don't like that, or they're trying this, they, they write this way, that way. Um, when it comes to something like first person narrative or anything, you really want to go and just get back to the basic definition of what is it and then tackling how to approach it, especially if you're a writer and you're, you're thinking of, you're writing in that, in that format, but you don't really have any specific thoughts on how to approach it. It's good to kind of go back to the basics and define it and then go from there. So that's kind of what we're getting into today is we wanted to learn a little bit more and share what we've learned um, and kind of going back into the basics of this. So, Jeanette, what is first-person narrative? First-person narrative is, and, and we really are going to the basics in some of these, first-person narrative is the viewpoint of a character written or speaking directly about themselves. So it is a character who is in their own story telling you their story. There's lots of different ways to express that. One is just kind of, hey, I'm telling you the story in the past tense, or I'm telling you the story as it is happening to me, or many different ways. And we're going to kind of get into those little subcategories. So why are we talking about first-person narrative currently? Because uh, I've been binging on No Sleep Podcast, like, a lot. <laughs> and they use first-person narrative quite often. I think in almost every episode, it is first-person narrative. And that's one thing about No Sleep Podcast I enjoy. It's always from this one person's perspective. It's, this thing happened to me. This thing happened to my friend. And I don't know. I, I think it actually works really well in horror. And that really is kind of how uh, when people tell campfire stories or scary stories uh, in the dark with the flashlights and all that, uh, it's, you know, sometimes even it, it's supposed to be almost like this thing where it's like uh, uh, based on true events or something like that, that you're trying to get people to uh, get attached to the story or, or kind of delve, be more pulled into the story by making it feel like it's personal to you because then... Uh, that kind of adds to the terror that this happened to my cousin or this happened to me or my brother or my sister or my next door neighbor. And then it kind of adds to that terror because the terror is now close to home. If it could happen to my friend's sister's brother-in-law, then it could happen to you. Your brother's dog's cousin's <laughs> former roommate with a foot infection. It could happen to yeah. you. <laughs> um, the other reason why I, in particular, am a little obsessed with first-person narrative right now is because I've been rereading my journals from high school, which is hilarious, by the way. I was a teenager. What I mean, what else do you want? <laughs> but um, as I was rereading my journals from high school, I was discovering all of these entries that I wrote 
in character because I was obsessed with acting. Like any chance I got, I was trying to get on stage in the theater performances. And one thing that I would do once I got a part to get deeper into my character would be to write these stories as my characters. So in first person narrative, I would get deeper into them and just kind of expand on their world beyond what was in the play. So Jeanette, what are the different degrees of first person narrative? Okay. So there's a bunch, but there's three in particular I wanted to talk about. There's first person major, first person minor, and first person omniscient. What's that? (laughs) So first person major is when you are hearing the story from the main character's perspective. So one example of this is Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat, which we'll add a link to that um, story in the show notes if in, in case you want to read the whole thing. But with a lot of first-person major, you have to see the whole story from the perspective of the person that everything's happening to. In The Black Cat, you have this main character who... He's the one instigating the violence. He's the one causing things to happen. And he's the one that's having this backlash from the be- from the black cat. What I like about this is that unreliable narrator syndrome where he's admits that he is drunk during a good chunk of this, like really, really smashed drunk. And he's like, But these things, they totally happened. This cat totally had it in for me. But can you believe him? No. But that's a really good example of first-person major character. So what about first-person minor? (laughs) First-person minor is if you're seeing the story from the eyes of a character who's not the main narrator well he's the narrator not the main character main character that's what i was the term i was looking for um so if you've ever read the book christine by stephen king that is a fantastic example of it because arnie cunningham is the main character in the story he's the one getting possessed he's the one with christine the car and he's the one where all of this chaos is building around him but He's not the one telling you the story. It's his best friend, Dennis Gilder. And Dennis is sharing how he's seen his friend's decay, his friend's destruction, and how everything's happening. So you are one step removed from what's actually happening and just kind of seeing the chaos as it spreads. Which adds, like, I think one of the good things about that particular type of storytelling is it forces more questions to exist. Do you know what I mean, Alexander? Yes, it does. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be talking a lot. Jeanette's more of the reader of both of us, and I'm, I'm getting more and more into reading. I'm usually more of an audiovisual person, so uh, I'm learning. I'm, I'm actually becoming a writer. I'm, I'm, I am a writer, but I'm becoming more of a uh, well-versed writer. Okay, so here's yeah. an example. Sure. First person major. Yeah. We interviewed two fellows on the ninth story mm-hmm. who directed the short film mm-hmm. in first person major. Mm-hmm. Do you remember which ones? Are you talking about um, PT in real life? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's first person. Yeah. And uh, 
Literally. It's literally first person. (laughs) And because it's the major character that you're seeing the story through the eyes of, that's exactly it. It's just the visual form of it. Mm -hmm. First person. Minor would be if you were the ghost on the wall watching him run around, freak out. (laughs) Pop quiz time, everybody. Pop quiz. So uh, what is is omniscient? Omniscient. All right. So this is one that I have. Can I I actually, I was just asking for a pronunciation. That's why I was going to say my, my, my word there. So what about first-person omniscient, Jeanette? What the frig is that? <laughs> so omniscient is a godlike view, my friend. Normally with first-person narrative, the biggest drawback is you can't see into other people's heads. You have to stay in the one character's head. Some other stories will kind of jump from character to character so you get the whole story. Like detective novels love doing this. Um, but first-person omniscient kind of breaks those rules. For example... The Lovely Bones by Alice Siebold. Sibold? Sibold. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm sorry, Alice. But your book is amazing in particular because the main character is a ghost. So she can have an omniscient view of the world. She can understand what someone other than herself is feeling, what they are experiencing, because she can slip right in there. That's weird. <laughs> it is a little weird. What are the benefits, Jeanette? Andromeda of this point of view. I'm going to say like well, the like, like, like James T. Kirk. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> it works. And actually, this is part of where I'd, I'd like to have this discussion with you, Alexander. Yeah. Is, uh, let's talk. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Why is first person useful? In your example, it gave you a lot more sass to that story. Well, for me as a writer, it, it, it helps me feel like I'm in that character's shoes directly. Like I become Fiabella the cat in Devil on Your Back. And by doing so, it it frees me and allows me to, you know, try a British accent and and, mm-hmm. and do things in that in, in, in a different perspective or enter a different time period. It's like when you were doing acting in high school, um, it's very freeing. I worked with an, a, an act. We actually worked with an actor on a short actor. I put that with quotation marks, not a real actor, actor, but a person that wanted to act and direct their own piece. And they had us make the short film with them. And the guy really had the hardest time uh, acting because he just didn't understand how to do it. He was trying to do a southern accent or whatever. And I don't think he was even doing an accent. He was just trying to perform and, and see himself as this character that's similar to another character in some films he enjoyed. And he just couldn't do it. So I found this accent to give him. And I told him to kind of think about who this person is and maybe emulate uh, a Western character or something like that. And he had the Southern drawl. And for some reason, it relaxed him and allowed him to actually perform at a somewhat decent level on camera, even though he had never acted before. And it was like his film and he's funding it and he just wanted to you know, make it happen and be in it as well i'm the lead character the writer the director the the crafty guy i don't know <laughs> like you know when you work in indie and you're working shorts sometimes you do have to wear all the hats and sometimes you just shouldn't because it just doesn't work because as as a director it's really difficult to direct yourself especially mm-hmm. if you don't know how to act yeah it gets harder but by having the accent he was able to slip into that other point of view which is good. Which made the whole process a lot easier because we didn't have to do 50 takes. We could do like three or four. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other thing I like about this perspective is it really does cause a lot of 
questions. It leaves a lot of shadows because if you think about your own experience through life, you don't know everything. You, you never will. <laughs> and if you use that to your benefit in the writing style, you can leave all of these little clues out for the reader, but not necessarily have the character connect the dots right away, which you see in a lot of detective novels, like in Sherlock Holmes, where, another example of first-person minor narrative, um, we don't have Sherlock Holmes, the main character telling the story, we have Watson. Watson doesn't see how all of the clues connect. He doesn't get it. He sees what's going on. He's in this experience. He's right there with him. But if we were in Sherlock Holmes's brain, there would be no mystery. We'd just know what the heck is going on immediately. So by changing that perspective to someone who's a little bit in the dark, it allows for a more interesting read. It allows for a little more tension to build. It allows for those... I, I keep thinking of it as like little blind spots in the narration, in the actual storytelling to add to the story. And it's kind of a very intimate perspective. Mm -hmm. And it allows the reader to kind of become an active part of the story because they're living, you know, through that character. They're, they're following along the, 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 the path of this, of the narrative through that character. And so that really is an interesting way to draw your audience in, not necessarily the best way for every story, but if it really works for that story, then yeah, go for it. And that's one of the things that I used to spend a lot of time doing in my own writing was to, and this is something I, I'd actually like to try this, actually, write one story from multiple different points of view as we get deeper into the points mm -hmm. of view. Um, because you can totally change this entire experience of one simple moment by seeing it through someone else's eyes. Yeah, when, when I was taking the, uh, the James Patterson uh, Masterclass course online, um, one of the things that he had mentioned was if you're have a scene and the scene feels flat try telling the scene you know uh through the perspective of one of the other characters and try it through each character and see who has the most interesting point of view of what's happening and that would might make the scene a little more interesting so if the bloat if the bloat if the boat blows up is it the person on the boat the person who sees it blow up or the person who hit the trigger who has the most interesting perspective. Yeah, like if you have a bunch of characters just having a conversation and, you know, they're freaking out about where, what to do with the dead body, you know, they just found <laughs> in their living room. And, and there's a bum outside looking right in their freaking window, just like, you know, first picking through garbage. And he just sees people flailing their arms about and, and you know, <laughs> looking like they're just crazy maybe his perspective is more interesting than what's actually happening inside. So that if you're struggling with a story, just try slipping into someone else's shoes. It may help a bunch. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be first person, but that's what we're covering today. Yeah, that is what we're covering today. So what are some of the drawbacks of first person narrative, Jeanette? Well, you know those dark shadows and blind spots I was just saying could be a uh, asset? Yeah, that can also be a drawback because sometimes like if you have a story where a really important part of the story is happening a town and a half away from your character, if you've already told the entire story from their perspective and now all of a sudden you need to slip away somewhere, you can't. You're kind of trapped in their flesh. 
it forces you to create different choices and, and tell the story in different ways. Like maybe someone shows up and says, oh my gosh, the boat blew up. But maybe you really wanted to see the boat blow up. You know, there's there's definitely drawbacks to only having the one perspective. And if you... Unless you're using the first person omniscient point of view, you're also trapped by only experiencing that one character's emotions. Which... Some people really don't like first-person narrative because it starts to sound conceited. I did this. I went there. I feel this. Yeah, it can get a little narcissistic sounding, so that is definitely a drawback to it. Narrative. Narrative. And yeah, some people really don't like first-person narrative. Like, I, I was reading some of the forums that Alex found, and that was some of the comments there is just like, I hate first-person narrative. It's so they narcissistic. Won't even, they won't engage in the conversation at all. And I, and I understand it. So it's not for everybody, but it can be a good device, even mm-hmm. in for just a section of a story, not totally in first-person. It could be it's just a right. slice of it in first-person. Just popping into somebody else's eyeballs can be really great. <laughs> So to come back to our story for the day, which was written by Immortal Alexander. Um, devil on your back. Devil on your back. I'm yeah. blanking on names here. That's fine. Let's talk about how first-person narrative worked in that. In this story, like a lot of first-person narrative, you start with your narrator talking to you, the reader, directly. This does happen a lot, like Dracula, it's journal entries and letters and things like that. The person who is telling the story has a reason to tell this story. They're like, hey, you, I experienced this thing. And you had that with the cat. I like stories where somebody is bartering a story for something else. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, there are other stories that I really enjoyed like that where, you know, um, you know, a, a character is using you know, a story as some sort of payment for or, or an exchange for something, some goods and services. I just think that's an interesting concept uh, because, you know, back before television and Internet and, and radio plays and all that, we would just sit around campfires and tell stories. And, you know, some people are just really great storytellers. And you're like, oh, man, this person's really great at that. I'm like, well, you know, I'm really good at it, huh? How about you give me uh, a milkshake or something <laughs> and I'll tell you a story. And I'll wax poetic on this thing that happened back in the day. You know, yeah. And I think it's just kind of a cool concept. Uh, And and I just really enjoyed um, doing it through the perspective of an animal that's sentient. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a cool thing. And uh, playing on the the concept of the cat being a familiar, you know, which is almost like a witch's familiar or, you know, whatever, like a a demonic familiar. And and it's it's kind of almost like... uh, in the service of demons, you know, that, that concept that could be in the service of demons. I think that's an interesting concept, uh, but it's kind of like maybe, you know, left its master and just wandering the streets and like, well, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story and I'm going to, I'm going to make a couple of, get some piece of tuna fish or hang out and have a good time. Exactly. Um, and if they don't give me what I want, you're going to sick some demons on them. You could do all sorts of things. Um, I did like that because at first I actually didn't bat an eye on the fact that it was a cat telling the story because with like Disney movies is what I grew up on. It was frequent that a talking animal was part of the tale. So to have one just talk to me didn't bother me at all until later when I'm like, 
oh wait, now it's upset with me because I can't give it any tuna. It's inside my computer. <laughs> and, and what I wanted to play upon as far as the character being a cat is that cats can be both really, really gentle and they can be really big friggin' assholes, you know? <laughs> so I wanted to play upon those two ideas of, you know, a cat that's kind of a fair weather cat. You know, and and it can, you know, it definitely it, it likes the guy because it doesn't want to let the guy to do, uh, you know, get wrapped for murder in the story because he's his meal ticket, you know, or her meal ticket. And and it's also the fact that um, it does seem to care about the character and, and, and compliments him and he looks dapper and, and all that and, and, it can, and can see him as an attractive individual walking down the street you know, see it in a very human, he can, the cat can see the man and, and the other people in very human perspectives, but also it was really good at describing the world around her. She was. And the one question I wish your cat had asked was where the heck did that razor blade come from? Like, why did this nice dapper fellow have that in his pocket? Well, while he's, he's, da- out for a stroll? he's dapper. You know what? <laughs> Sometimes I carry a little razor in my pocket just in case I get an extra five o'clock shadow and I want to look good. You do, actually? <laughs> Not a straight razor, but sometimes I'll actually have my suit on and I'll bring a little disposable razor with me when I'm going somewhere. Guys do this. Because all right, if you're shaving the right way, you're shaving downwards, you're shaving with the grain instead of against the grain, it causes less rashes on your face. Hmm. So if you're doing that and you're going to be doing, let's say, going to a wedding or something, and you're going to be hanging out for like eight hours – by the fifth hour, you're getting a five o'clock shadow, and you're getting super, you know, scruffy. You can you can probably hear him exactly. Right I'm just now. like, <laughs> that's his scruff. <laughs> and, and so you go in the bathroom and you just take, wet it a little bit and just go downwards a couple of times and you and you smooth it out. So the rest of the day you look all right. So when you're kissing babies and hanging out with your your relatives and all that, you don't you know end up lighting a match on their face. <laughs> and you know what? That's pretty cool because I never would have. Uh... I, I honestly was like, what was he planning with that razor? Because as a woman, um, it's very rare that we carry around razors. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't need to shave that often, generally speaking. Five o'clock shadows but you, don't you gals carry all sorts of preparatory and it's things true. with you to keep you fresh and happy Yet and all that. A razor. <laughs> you know, mints and uh, makeup and whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, and actually, that's just. If I were to write a male character, that's something that I would never have thought about. Like, why would I would never assume that he'd have a razor in his pocket other than for some nefarious reason? Nefarious. Five o'clock shadow. It's yeah. nefarious, apparently. <laughs> and I just thought it was, uh, you know, I, I wanted to kind of make it feel timeless because there are electric lights. And we talk about the, you know, Fiabella talks about electric lights in the beginning of the story, but I didn't want it to feel, I want it to feel like it could be in maybe more uh, industrial England, you know, London, or it could be, uh, it could be, uh, you know, now modern times, it doesn't really necessarily have to be anything. He's, he's a dapper gentleman, but people are, you know, hipsters these days. They like to (laughs) pretend to be dapper gentlemen or actually be dapper gentlemen. I waxed my mustache once. He did have a crazy mustache for a while. And that was for a, a short film we were doing, but not for, I did like it, though. You kept it for a while. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. You looked like um, Colonel Sanders for I, quite a while. I just think it's interesting that they have websites specifically geared towards people that love to use straight razors, and they sell all of the classic things to use a straight razor. You got the strop, which is like a leather strap 
at you, you, and you have this, um, I don't know what it's called. There's like a, 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 a thing that you put on one side of the strap, strop, strop, and you use it to kind of, um, keep the razor sharp. It's like, a, a, it kind of eats away a little bit at the metal. And then you, when you, when you rake, rake it up and down on the strop, it actually uh, helps to keep it sharp. And then you use that on the leather side, and then you you have your your foaming creams and whatever, and you know and and you know sh- shaving. Oh my god, I don't even know what I'm talking about. You use your you know the brush, and you use the uh, you know whatever soap or whatever you're using. There's different things. I don't know. <laughs> I, I tried a lot of things, and I bought a bunch of stuff, and I bought a couple of different straight razors, and I found out that they don't actually sell them sharp. You actually have to have them honed or professionally honed because it's illegal for them to sell them at sharp. Huh. For straight razors, you have to. Actually, I mean, it would be a weapon. You you buy them specifically. You buy like a like a stainless steel one. I wouldn't buy like a carbon one uh, because, as I said, they're not meant to be sharpened at that point uh, unless you have them professionally sharpened. So I would get stainless steel, and that was that was the way to go. And now you know. We really should get a sponsorship from Harry's or something. Who's <laughs> Harry's? Online straight razors and stuff. They send you a new razor every month. We are not sponsored by Harry's. We are not sponsored by Harry's. In I'm fact, not, I think yeah. most of that needs to be cut out. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> that was a lot about razors. And Harry's. And Harry's. You're welcome, Harry. Thanks, Harry. You're no longer <laughs> Harry because you have a razor. Um, if the audience wants us to talk about this more in future episodes, just let us know on Twitter and we can talk a little bit more on different perspectives in the story. I think that we definitely will delve deeper into that or maybe even have a guest on to talk specifically about that. Yeah. Um, if And that's that's kind of the thing with this new season of The Ninth Story is we're being a little more, not even more experimental. We're just experimenting in general. Um, and at one point, way back at the beginning of The Ninth Story, there were episodes that Dan did kind of like this about specific things in storytelling. And... Me as someone, actually both of us, mm-hmm. as someone who wants to improve our writing, having this toolbox of like, what are the different things you can do inside of a story? What are the different structures you can use to help you get past something, to help you create something? And uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring you a little information. If you like this Please let us know. If you don't, we will talk less about this. And, and as a little side note, um, as I actually come into my own stories almost as a reader, because I don't even know what's going to happen as until it happens, um, I really did enjoy how the ending is kind of open. And I love stories like that. There's plenty of great horror stories that have a little bit of an open ending that allows you to kind of continue the story with your own mind. And I think it makes the story a little more interesting. I do like the comma at the end of a story sometimes because you do. Those are the ones that just stick in your brain for days. And you're like, but what would happen next? What would happen next? I had another thought, but now I'm just thinking about that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening to our little story thing, Pants Party USA. Hi. (laughs) Thank you for visiting us. And for those of you who uh, tweeted banana at me, you made my day. (laughs) It was amazing. (laughs) Because now I know you actually listened to the end of the episode and you had an amazing banana.
Yeah, we like don't really sleep a lot, so we derp out constantly. But we're glad that you listened to this show. Oh, light bulb. So before we go, I did want to tell you, since this is one of the episodes where we don't have someone we're interviewing, I did work on my outline for my novel, as well as a couple other stories while we were on our way to go see the No Sleep podcast live, which, by the way, was amazing. Um, At this point, their tour is done, but... You should go listen to their podcast anyway. No sleep. No sleep. Um, Which is what we get. We, <laughs> it's true. So I, on the train, in my little notebook, actually wrote out outlines for multiple stories, and I'm very proud of myself. So the next bullet point in my journey is to r- start writing a, a more fleshed out outline. Or to go on the No Sleep podcast Reddit and write stories. I don't know if I'm ready for those big pants to go on yet. I want to put those pants on. I don't care if they don't fit. Okay. You should go do that. I'm going to I'm just going to read them for now. There them. might be like spiky pants or like black sounds, hole nebulous pants. That sounds uncomfortable. Mhm. Or super comfortable because everything just goes into some other nebula. And then, you know, you know you can have like the skinniest of skinny jeans and they would be very comfortable. Nice. Unless what's in the elsewhere is not so nice. Bum, bum, bum. And so, so thank you to our sponsor, Rode Microphones. For trapping all of our voice waves and making them sound beautiful. If you also want to do that, you can find out more about Rode Microphones on Rode.com. R-O-D-E.com. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time on our little story land of Pants Party USA. <laughs> or if you uh, if you would rather <laughs> talk to us in a more normal way, uh, we do have a Facebook group. A group, We actually. just started it. We it's great. Well, we just started it. Yeah. Um, so that is facebook.com slash groups slash Ninth Story Podcast. Um, I would love to start talking to you guys more specifically about what you're writing. I know on a lot of people are very active on Twitter. But today I'm asking you to go to our Facebook group because I'd like to start reading what you guys are writing too because I, I know a lot of you are writers and I want to know what kind of writing you do and it's what a, kind of people you want to talk you know, to. It's, it's a great place to continue the conversation because what we're trying to do here is uh, try to learn how to be better writers ourselves and also to share how other writers create their stories. So... You can become a part of that. Share your story with us. Come out to the Ninth Story Podcast group on Facebook. We can continue the conversation. We'll be inviting over all of our past guests to come on there and talk directly to you guys and continue the conversation there as well. So we hope to see you there. And you can find me, Immortal Alexander, on Twitter at HTV Immortal. And if you want to talk to me, you can find me at Jeanette.art underscore no underscore art i don't even have my own twitter handle Mm -hmm. dudes just tweet at ninth story podcast we'll find you exactly of us are there so this week either tweet at us ninth story podcast or go to the facebook group and just if you need a few more characters we got you or go watch the birds and just tweet tweet i i don't guarantee i'll be able to respond in that way but i will try i will call out my window and say Yes. Caw. 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 Okay, so uh <laughs> my my bird sounds like he's sick. I'm going to go play more Zelda now. <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks for listening, guys, and we will talk to you next week. I love you. Okay, bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.